Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. It's finally Grey's Anatomy Day. I can't <laughs> believe the day is finally here. Know, it took us long I enough. I mean, I they're know. in their 11th season and we're finally podcasting on right. Grey's. Yeah, Grey's Anatomy, it's the perfect place for romantics and hypochondriacs. <laughs> and if you happen to be both... As so many of me and my friends are, it is absolutely heaven because you can go on and every week have a new disease and get cured and then realize maybe you don't have the disease. But in addition to that, there are so many life lessons in Grey's Anatomy. So you're saying it's perfect for the lovesick. You know, yes. Oh, you're so clever. Okay. But in addition to that, I think what's so cool about it is it happens to have my, um, I have two all-time favorite female characters that I hope have developed my character. In um, real life. Right, through wow. watching Art television. transcending the screen. Yes. Okay. I, they, it actually has for me. And one of them, as you know, is C.J. Craig. And I do From have, the West Wing. Right, yeah. and I do actually have a, a post-it that says WWCJD. What yeah. would C.J. do on my computer? And I often look at it and reflect. And then my second favorite character, everybody thinks it's going to be Grey or one of those sweeties, but, but it's, it's not. Christina it Yang. Christina Yang, yes. the all-time great person. There are so many things to talk about when we talk about Grey's Anatomy. What's your favorite part of it? Okay, this is so funny. When Grey's first aired, it's hard to think about the TV landscape back then when people still watched it on TVs. Um, so I remember very clearly it was on Thursday nights at 9, and this is so old school. I used to watch with a friend... And every time there was a commercial break, we would call each other on the phone and we would discuss um, what had just happened in the previous seven minutes or whatever it was. And it's so funny because I was talking to the same friend's daughter the other day, and that's what she remembers about her childhood are these late night Thursday night (laughs) calls where her mother and I would just be out of pocket for an hour. And now that same daughter has rediscovered or discovered Grace on Netflix. So she's gone back to season one. And also, it's the kind of series where if you're sick with the three-day flu, you can watch, you know, three or four seasons and you're just going to feel better, although you might get sick with other things. Those hypochondriacs. (laughs) It's true. It's true. But also, I think Grey's Anatomy, maybe more than other shows, have memorable quotes that are the kind of quotes, you know how everybody puts a quote now in a box and has a pretty little background, mm-hmm. you put it up on Instagram or on your Facebook page or something, That's but right. Gray's quotes, and I'm going to, just through our podcast, I'm going to insert a couple, and I'm going to call them my commercial interruptions, uh, which will be Gray's quotes, and the first one is, that would be the worst breakup ever. Now, okay, this is a quote? It's a quote, yeah. You cannot immediately tell me where it's from. I thought you were going to start with something okay, softballish. Okay, Derek has like... just been shot, and she and and she's sobbing over him. Uh, Gray is sobbing sobbing over him, and he says, "She says, don't die. That would be the worst breakup <laughs> ever." So that's my one of my quotes. Okay, that's a good one. It is one of the great ones. I thought you were going to give me an easy one to start us off, um, like seriously, because season one. Do you remember? It was like a drinking game. Every time they said seriously, the same friend and I who used to watch on Thursday nights, we got T-shirts that were bright red and just said seriously. Well, and that goes to show you, though, how seriously you took the, the comment that you went, okay, actually went you paid be by. careful here, Hollister, because for this podcast, I thought you were going to be my person. Uh, no, I'm not. You're not my Yes, <gasps> Actually, I will be your person. Well, I should hope right. so, at least through the end right. of this podcast. And, you know, and, there, and there's also this cool thing about Grey's is when everybody, when that happened, a bunch of people happened to text me, you're my person. 
And I thought, wow, I'm a lot of people's person. That's pretty cool. And then I thought, who's my person? <laughs> so yes, that would be great. That's be great. And we have to. We cannot talk about Grey's Anatomy without first speaking about Shonda Rhimes. Shonda Rhimes. I mean, she is like yeah. the David E. Kelly of her generation, mm-hmm. where it is amazing. Um, how many shows she has put on television. Well, and she's been interviewed a lot lately, and and everybody keeps saying, oh my gosh, you changed TV, you brought diversity to TV and everything else. And she says, which I think is such a great line, I didn't bring diversity to TV. I brought reality to TV. And I bring reality to my TV shows, which happens to mean that people live in a diverse world. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you can certainly, A, she acknowledges that she... She didn't make this up. She just really went to real life. But secondly, she was a couch potato um, living at home and uh, just decided she was loved watching daytime TV and decided she was going to go to the networks and she was going to make this happen, and she did. So, wow, good for yeah, her. Kudos to her for sure. So Shonda Rhimes, we definitely can't speak about Grace without speaking about her. Okay, and then I have to do a couple of my inter-questions for you. Ready? Okay, I think. I don't, I don't even know what's coming, but okay. Okay, Alex or George? Alex. Oh, my God. Are you crazy? I had to see if you even... I I didn't even know why they were in the same sphere. Oh, they are. Totally. Okay. Well, they're they're secondary. I I don't know. Are you asking me which one I would want as my doctor? Well, which is your preference, period. Okay. As my doctor, George. As my non-doctor, Alex. Okay, I, you know, I don't know why we do these things together. We have nothing in common. <laughs> yes, but at okay. least we're not competing Sloan for the same or fictional De- characters. All right, ready? Sloan or Derek? Sloan. Well, that was McDreamy or McSteamy? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm going McSteamy. Okay. Um, I would go with McDreamy. Although I would love to have McSteamy around for comic relief. And, of course, now we're just arguing between McDead and McDead. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Okay, I don't know if we can talk about Derek's death. I don't think I don't think our listeners, by the way, will allow us to talk about Derek's death because I want you to know this is a very serious. I am offense. so sorry. I am so sorry. Yeah. But I do have to say, I mean, I missed Patrick Dempsey in his teen throb years, and then I know there was a hiatus of some years there. It was a bad hair year, by the way, when he was a teen throb. However, he did an amazing turn on a show that I loved once and again with Celia Ward, where he played her schizophrenic brother, and I'm pretty sure that was the role that got him this part. I you Grey's know, it's Anatomy. funny. I, I don't know that uh, show. What's, it, what's the name of it? I again? loved it. It was with Celia Ward and Billy Campbell. Uh-huh. Um, and it was called Once and Again. Great. Okay. Um, Meredith or Christina? Meredith. Okay. But I like Meredith and Christina together. Okay. It's you a know very what? good pairing. This is where, because I only have two women characters from TV that I really, really, really feel changed my life. So I get to take a minute or two now, and I get to say a few things about Christina, and then you will not be able to compete with me when you try to talk about Meredith. Well, you see, this is why we're Hollister and O'Toole. Uh, okay, when I tell my friends and family that she's my gr- favorite gray girl, everybody's like, oh my God, she's the meanest character on TV, and why, why would... And I say to them, you know... I don't think she's mean at all. I think she's misunderstood. Um, I think her drive, her vision through her personal windshield, her single-minded determination to be the best surgeon of her generation is a goal that should be treated with awe and respect rather than disdain. Well, I think, that is all true. And, uh, of course, Sandra Oh. I mean, hats off. She is a tremendous great actor. actor. Okay. And remember when she broke um, Thomas Hayden Church's I nose do. and sideways? I do, I do. But <laughs> it's a goal that we should honor. Just as we would honor her if she wanted to have 10 children. Like, you know, we keep saying, you have to honor that woman who wants to have 10 children. Why can't we then take the woman who wants to 
not have t- any children and just focus on a career like that and honor her too. Now her mentor in Minnesota understood her worth and um, and I have to say he was one of the strongest characters I felt who was only on for three shows, but I think he was an amazing character. And um, he said something to her that uh, that uh, he's died now. He's on the floor, and she and she's walking slowly, <laughs> slowly, slowly. And then there's a voiceover of him, and it says, "Breathe, Christina Yang." Breathe, Doctor Yang. Mediocre surgeons will see you and feel themselves wilting in your shadow. Do not shrink to console them. Do not look for friends here. You won't find them. None of these people have the capacity to understand you. They never will. If you're lucky, one day... When you're old and shriveled like me, you'll find a young doctor with little regard for anything but their craft. And you'll train them like I trained you. Until then, read a good book. You have greatness in you, Yang. Don't disappoint. And I think that's one of the great things. But the other thing I want to point out is... When people say she had no kindness in her... Oh, she had kindness. She did. And Mm -hmm. what she would do is she used it when it was really, really appropriate. Now, the example I sort of pulled is when George's father has died. Mm-hmm. And we by that at that point we don't know any much about Christina's past. We don't know that she actually held, pumped her father's chest when it was bleeding to death, you know, in a, in a mm-hmm. car accident. But she says, George, there's a club, the Dead Dad's Club, and you can't be in it till you're in it. You can try to understand, you can sympathize, but until you feel that loss. And then she pauses and and he, she says, "My dad died when I was nine. George, I'm really sorry you had to join my club." And he says, I don't know how to exist in a world where my dad doesn't. And she kindly says, yeah, that never really changes. So she's able to give empathy mm-hmm. without over-empathizing and then move on. You know, it's not that she has no empathy. It's that she chooses to use it at times when people really need it rather than every day being the nicey-nice girl. And I have to say, I was that ch- person who had a little bit of heart trouble with that, and she definitely walked me through that. She seemed very realistic, too, as um, a medical intern, a oh. student, somebody with that amount of drive that could get them through medical school and want to be the best, and that surgeon's mentality of and then, perfection. And, and then my friends will say, well, but but there's, she's not, she has no humor. Uh, when she when her eyebrows were shaved off, <laughs> and she wicks it, and the look she gives to Meredith is like, seriously? Which again, she doesn't say it, but it's yes. like seriously. She had tremendous amounts mm-hmm. of humor that was really based on a um, caustic, or I don't know. I can't describe it exactly, but I think it's the funniest humor of all. It's when you take There's, the worst moment in time yeah. and you turn it around and say, you know, you just have to start laughing. Oh, that's right. I mean, when you think back to the pilot of Grace, she did mellow a bit, um, but certainly no superficiality to Christina Yang, a very loyal friend. And keep in mind that when um, when when the shooting took place at the hospital in the next season, Christina Yang's the one who really falls apart. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me someone has no soul who falls That's apart right. worse than anybody else on the entire. So what I what I couldn't help but ask myself, and I've asked my friends since, and we've had debates over dinner about this, is, okay, why is it you view her so so as if she's a mean girl? 
you know, why does everybody, she never lies. The only time she lied was with, was when she was helping Burke, who couldn't really operate. It's the only time in 11 years that this woman lied. Mm-hmm. Okay. She never fooled around on somebody. She never cheated on anybody. That's right. Okay. She's the only woman on there who didn't cheat on anybody. And she's the least. Is that true? Yes. She's the least like woman. No, uh, and no, what about Miranda? Miranda Bailey. Uh, well, Miranda Bailey, well, she didn't cheat on somebody exactly, but she dumped somebody, slept with somebody else without telling somebody. But Miranda Bailey, I don't, I don't put a, Miranda Bailey's older than these other women, but in the girls that everybody looks at and sort of mirrors themselves, she's the only one who was always honorable. She always honored herself. And yet, uh, and when you, when they did a poll in America, very few women, looked to her as the person they wanted to mirror or aspired to be when I considered her to have the attributes far beyond everybody else. So now go tell me <laughs> you... why you like Meredith better. Go ahead, try. Okay, well, I think your question was just Meredith or Christina um, without really giving <laughs> me a whole question. lot more. <laughs> yeah, but you chose I Meredith. Think you How and I are Meredith like, and Christina. Just like the rest of America, you chose Meredith. Well, I'm sure that you applauded Meredith's dark and twisty side. I don't. I found really. Her, I find her to be self. Uh, not her own fault. I mean, with you know, I find I her think to she be. She overcame a lot. I think she faultlessly, totally self-centered and narcissistic. What about season one, where her poor mother, played by Kate Burton, which I thought was such an interesting character. Um, of course, both of Meredith's uh, parents on Grey's ended up on Scandal. Um. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. of course. Of yeah. course. You okay. know, one is right. the VP and the other is but the I had a, yeah, <laughs> chief of staff. So they did okay. Um, but when she was dealing with her mother suffering from Alzheimer's, and when you realized her mother had been such a strict mother. Right. And she was, uh, she was, she was taking care of what she had to. She was the only one who was in charge. She took care of what she had to. But every time we saw her with her mother, in my mind, she was looking for her mother to validate her in some way. She wasn't really all that and concerned. You can't with her say mother. that. I did. You know, in in her shoes, wouldn't you feel the same way? No. Really. I think she really wanted her mother to say, you've achieved something in your own right. You're not just living Look, in my it, shadow. It was a terrible childhood, but that doesn't... And adulthood. The adulthood but, wasn't so hot either. But that doesn't negate the fact that she's the most self-centered person on the entire show. Look, you don't have the right to try to drown when, when people love you. You don't have that right. You don't have the right. You know, there. That by the way, it's one of the most narcissistic acts you can do is to try to kill yourself when there are those around. Okay, you. well, this could be a whole different podcast exactly. on depression. Right, but but, but Meredith to me is not and this somebody is why who you're aspired. not a mental health professional. <laughs> <laughs> Nor do we even play one on TV. Okay, where well, we can move on if you want. I don't. I Meredith is my least favorite character. Really, uh-huh. I but I love the way she looks in jeans. Does that help? Oh, I, I don't do. Know. I don't know. When she walks in jeans, I'm like, I wonder if I ever, even when I was a skinny young girl, did I ever walk in jeans like that? She just takes these little cute little steps. And he, when, when McDreamy says to her, um, those little hands, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, those little tough hands that are going to beat somebody, there are moments that I find her compelling. But as a character, as a human being, she's the one I least aspire. Well, I do have to say this is an inordinately good-looking bunch of surgeons that they have um, compiled there at Seattle Grace. Um, and I also have to say that appealed to me. So I'm someone who, of course, this is not the first show to take place in a hospital, um, but it was certainly a very interesting take that Shonda Rhimes came up with, focusing on those the, the interns, their first year at a hospital in season one and watching them grow. 
Um, but for example, if you compare it to predecessors like ER or Chicago Hope, I liked that Shonda Rhimes brought in the social life aspect so strongly and yet did not go mm-hmm. overboard, as I would argue she did in private practice. Yeah, well, private practice just didn't have it. And I mm-hmm. think also that I, the actors were good actors. They just weren't as... They weren't as well-developed, maybe, or the characters, something? That's true. They yeah. were great, great actors, yeah. and I had such high hopes for that show, um, but I think she made their social lives too crazy, and people were constantly switching up and hooking up with someone else's ex-husband or ex, and so it's hard to believe that there was an emotional core there. Right. Um, because and, you know, Grace is her first show, and the one she clearly spent the it's sort of like somebody sometimes people's first books are their best book because they have the most time marinating in them and developing them properly so by the time she brought in private practice it was an offshoot of this show and she was also still running grace so her mind had to be somewhat you know wasn't totally focused on that it's not as good but well, i'm going to do private, wait, I'm no, no, i think private practice is a testament to how strong grace was because yeah. it was almost so popular and so good she needed to create a second show so more characters had space so, for example, when they brought in Kate Walsh as Addison, um, she was only supposed to come in for about five episodes, and she was so popular, they had her back and then created private practice. Right. But I think what Grace did so brilliantly that private practice did not is the intergenerational um, dynamic was much stronger on Grace. So you had older characters playing the parents. You had the chief. Private practice, they were all the same age. They were all extremely good looking. They all worked in the same office. Um, there was a dynamic That's missing true. there. That's true. Okay, I'm going to do a commercial quote interruption again. Ready? <laughs> okay, and I'm doing this for you. I didn't have to, but this Thank is... Thank you, Christina okay. Yang. Okay. Well, no, this is a quote from Meredith, okay? Um, I love you in a really big, pretend to like your taste in music, let you eat the last piece of cheesecake, hold a radio over my head outside your window, unfortunate way that makes me hate you, love you. I'm going to say she must have said that to McDreamy. Duh, yeah. She could have said it to Christina (laughs) until you got to the Say Anything reference. Yeah, no, I I think just before she says something along the lines of pick me, choose me, love me, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a great quote. I love you in that unfortunate way that makes me love you, hate you. You know, I mean, I know that moment. I mean, I've had those kinds of loves in my life, too. I'm sure every woman really has at some level. I I think you're owning up to your dark and twisty side. Uh, No, no, no. Uh, No, I have a dark and twisty side, no question. But anyway, that's my my, uh, quote, interrupt us. Um, But, you know, it's it's very interesting because when you just quoted that, say it again, um, the shoot me, love me, hate me. Um, no, she says she stands in the in the washing room or whatever it's called before they go into, to, and she says, "Pick me, choose me, love me." And when they that night that that is on T-shirt. I mean, you could you know if you go into eBay and you put those words in, you're gonna. I mean, you're gonna see a ton of stuff. And I think that also speaks to the fact that Shonda Rhimes she writes dialogue in a very singular cadence. Um, it's almost like Aaron Sorkin when he came out with Sports yes, Night. And people the female were Aaron talking Sorkin, about how he wrote an iambic pentameter. Mm-hmm. Um, but then some people would say that's a big challenge to the actors because they all have dialogue in the same cadence. So it could start to sound repetitive if the actor can't think of a way to make it sound like their own character's voice and not Shonda Rhimes speaking through um, you know, a lot of different human bodies. Well, the other thing about... <laughs> about the difficulty in this dialogue and, and things is there's so much medical 
jargon that yes. if you go onto YouTube and you type in uh, Grey's Anatomy medical bloopers, you you know they have to shoot these things a million times because these things have to roll off their tongue, and these are words that have no relationship to these actors' real lives. And they have to redo them again and again. And apparently George was particularly not great at really? doing Really? Yeah. And there are some so funny. It's sort of like, oh, no, we have to do this again? And they are really, you know, for Blooperville, you know, and there's fun to watch. Go and watch your favorite show's bloopers. And most of them, most shows have them now on YouTube. So just go into YouTube and type in Grey's Anatomy's bloopers. You won't be sorry you did if you need a good laugh one day. You know, when we think about them playing doctors, do you know... Um, how did they cast some of these patients that came in with these most unusual Well, you diseases? know what happened? It's interesting you ask that, um, is because a lot of actors asked to be on it. Oh. Yeah, which is why you're going to see some top, top actors. And it's funny, you bring that up, but my favorite patients... If, uh-huh. you, if you were to say, who are your favorite patients? Oh, let me ask, Hollister, who were your favorite patients? Oh my patients? gosh, it's so funny you should ask I know, me I'm your person. Thank you so much. I'm here okay. for you. Okay, I like the woman who refused to have a pig a pig um, <laughs> a, a pig, pig heart valve. transplant. No, a pig uh-huh. valve because she was she did become an Orthodox Jew. Yep. And do you remember that? I and, do remember and that. so that Alex goes and he says, "Okay, we'll do it with the cow," you know. And then you know, she, it, but it's she's there's humor in it, and then there's also I think the message in there of loyalty to your beliefs mm-hmm. is really cool. And then, and, in, and then in the operating room, just before she's going under, there's a rabbi there who does a blessing over her. And you can see, and you know, they do that. She does this stuff so brilliantly. She layers it in even less heavy-handedly than Sorkin, I think. And, um, of course, it also does give one pause, I think, to think how closely related the human heart is exactly. to the pink heart. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why we shouldn't eat pork, which is why the bacon I ate this morning at breakfast clearly upset you in some major way. Okay, so we're at the Bentonville Film Festival, by the way, so we had breakfast this morning. And, and yesterday we saw a wonderful panel where Candy Alexander, who is known as her most recent role. Oh, on Scandal. That's right, Mama right. Pope. Yeah. Um, she gave a special shout-out to Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. And I was talking about how good Shonda is at reaching back and bringing up new writers and being a mentor. Um, she did, and that was great. And I'm, I, but you digress from my favorite patients. I am so sorry. Oh, okay. okay, all right. Okay, I like the Amish girl who had, you know, they had left the Amish faith, and then she's dying, and she bring, she calls her parents, and they come back, and her best friend has to come. I mean, it's just, it's just an incredible conversation around that. And then also, my very favorite patient of all time is the Gray's technician who has a brain tumor. And um, and Derek is fighting with the chief, and the chief says you can't do this operation. And Derek has to go back in twice. And Meredith, he actually starts drawing the tumor on the wall of their bedroom, and it is an incredibly poignant um, episode. I think it's one of the best episodes of Grey. And um, so he was my favorite patient. And then I'll just the last one I guess is the um, is the when the airless kid trick or treated for ears. So that all the- I'm sorry, you're going to have to remind me which which episode okay. that was. Okay, was this kid who whose ears were you know were deformed and, and but he had ear canals, so he needed an operation. So everybody had to donate their services and everything, and he goes around trick or treating for ears. And there's humor in it, and also I mean, in other words, when she combines fear, humor, all these great things, it's it's really a wonderful combination. So those are my, one of some of my favorite patients. But a lot of actors asked to be on it, you know, because they were watching it. 
you know, you're watching a show, of course you want to have the opportunity to be on it if you can. So Now, another subset of artists who I think would be clamoring to get on the show, of course, are musicians. We can't talk about Grays without, without talking the music. about the music. Which she used... Here's, the, here's the, what she does that nobody else did. She was the first to use to take songs that have words that tell a story that moves you and to layer them in beneath with the words still in beneath actual dialogue that rolls over them and she uses them all through the 11 seasons over and over and over again and certainly the ones that they use most is chasing cars if i lay here They use it over and over again when any of them is dying, which happens a lot, by the way. Um, but it's interesting that you say that because another song is actually called The Story by Brandy Carlisle. And, um, you know, when that aired on Grey's, that song just skyrocketed. Oh, yeah. Tell you the story of who I am. So many stories of where I've been. And A number of series by this point had already done an entire um, episode where it's all songs. So it's Mm -hmm. sort of like a musical. And Shonda Rhimes first went to the cast and said she wanted to do it because they, some of them are major Tony winners, et cetera. And then none, and none of them, they were like, we don't want to do that. You know, enough. Like, we it don't want. It is amazing though how talented her cast is. I mean, yeah. when you just said that several are Tony winners, um, this is now a few years back, but of course, when the huge writer strike was going on in LA, my sister took me to a wonderful event out in LA where the casts of Grey's Anatomy and Private Practice got together and um, did a special fundraiser for their um, crew members because, of course, when the writers went out on strike, whenever productions halted like that, all the people that do the makeup and the sets and um, everything else, they were living without paychecks. So they got together, and it was amazing how many um, from those two casts sing and can And by the way, live. that event is on YouTube. So if you go in and you type in the songs, you know, uh, chasing cars, et cetera, you can, they, somebody taped it from the audience. I was not the person taping. I know. But so what happened was, so she went to the cast and they said, we don't want to do it. And then she talked for the special all music. Right. Mm -hmm. And then she talked them into it. And then she went, why didn't they want to do it? Well, because you know it's sort of a little cheesy. Because if it does, oh, wait. Because here's oh, why. Because oh, oh. if it doesn't work, right. you are You're you are humiliated gamble. for life. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean it's a big risk. Yeah. Okay, so she walked them through. So what she did was she actually put together the storyline and what they were going to do, et cetera. And then she went back to them and they decided yes, they wanted to do it. So they asked the board of directors of the network or whoever decide whoever actually signs off on this. They asked him to come in on a Saturday morning, and the cast actually came in, and Owen brought his guitar, and it was great. And what they did was they actually performed it for uh, some... I mean, in other words, and then Shonda read the storyline, she read the parts, and then they did some... Each of them sang something, and... And then they said, absolutely do it. And when and it was very, very difficult. They say it was one of the most difficult editing, editing jobs ever mm-hmm. because, A, the timing had to be perfect or the music would not line up with the dialogue, which yeah. comes in and out of the music. In other words, she took doing a musical episode to another level that nobody had done it before. And 
where because people had sung their lines, but they didn't sing the song and then layer their lines over it. So she was the first to do that, and it was really a successful episode. And when I binge-watched Grey's, I think you're the one who told me to start watching it. I hadn't watched it when it was on television, and um, it's still on television, but... I hadn't watched it um, until you told me this. I think it was season eight or something. I started watching it. But I skipped over that episode because I thought, I just can't sit there and watch them singing. This is so stupid. And then I went back and I did watch it a year or so later. And I was like, this is truly something. And again, what a talented uh-huh. cast that you can oh, do yes. this. Yeah. He begins to raise his voice. You we are about to get another recipe. Richard, you have one minute to get her heart back before I'm taking the baby out. Oh, come on. breathing. Her colors that stimulate and suction and get some access. Not getting all heartbeat. Uh, Dr. Rev, I give you the hand. Get those monitors on. Ventilate. And of course, still zero. Come on, baby. There it is. Doris is coming back. Sarah Ramirez, who plays Callie, mm-hmm. you know, she, she won a Tony, and she is actually an exceptional singer. Owen is a great singer. Um, Have you ever noticed how much Callie looks like Tyne Daly? A dark-haired Tyne okay, Daly. Okay, where do you think, where, do you know where you saw her before? Hmm, I don't know. Wait, I, am I stumping on You are stumping me big time. She is in You've Got Mail. Really? Yes. Callie is the girl behind the counter who won't no. who won't let Meg swipe her credit card. You're kidding no, me. No, that's her. I'm gonna have to go back and yeah, rewatch. Yeah, you do have to watch that seg. I mean, I think that's probably on YouTube too. But well, I'm gonna give you an easier one. Kate Walsh and Sandra O, oh, of course, were together in the movie um, Tuscan Sun. Under the Tuscan yeah, Sun. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, Callie's partner for part of it who loses her leg. Oh, Arizona. Arizona. Steven Spielberg's stepdaughter. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, I will say that I saw um, Derek being interviewed on, I think it was Jimmy Jimmy Kimmel. Okay. And he says, okay, okay, you know, we've got to talk about this part because let's face it, Derek, you got shot. You were in a plane crash. Mm-hmm. You got $30 million for the plane crash. So you bought a, you bought a hospital for $50 million. Then there was a ferry accident where you, you know, saved her from from drowning. Is the moral of this, don't ever travel with Derek? Well, the moral of it is, is this a, um, you know, everybody always scoffs at uh, daytime TV, mid-daytime TV. Yeah, you know, and, you know, he didn't say it, but I couldn't help but glean from that. that one does have to say, is this a soap opera? Mm. Okay. Are you really pondering okay. that? Maybe it's like a scrub She's in She's riding opera. it on her Harvard horse again. It is a soap opera. And you know what? But it's sort of it's sort of allowed because there's also amazing messages. And, you know, there, I don't, I've watched soap operas on occasion. And I have to say H2, which is how I refer to my second husband, had a back <laughs> operation. And he said that he was, got into one of the soaps. You know, he was watching in the hospital. He was in the hospital for like a month. This was quite a long time ago. Fast forward five years later. He's in the hospital again with the back, and he turns it on, and he said it was like they he'd shut the door, and they, 
same people walked through and he hadn't missed anything in five years and he thought, how could this possibly be true? You know, I don't know if the daytime soaps have underlying messages on gender, on character, on all kinds of things, or is it just the drama of he almost died, he almost died, he almost died, um, or someone screwed someone or someone screwed someone. You know, in other words, I'm not sure they have the underlying other messages, which doesn't make them necessarily better or Mm -hmm. worse. I'm just saying that it was very funny. And Derek just sat there in the chair laughing, going, well, you've got a point. Yes, I did almost die. Yes, I got shot in the chest. The thing that bothered me is Derek got shot in the chest. And Christina has to, of course, go in and do major open heart surgery. Would a conflict of interest? Well, it was, it was but there was no choice because everybody, the, it was right. on lockdown, That's right? right? Uh-huh. So Which she, is a little soap opera-ish. It is, it is. Okay, and then I see him in bed a year later, and he doesn't have a scar from oh. this major open... You know, That's I how good th- your Christina Yang is. That's how flawless <laughs> her technique. <laughs> well, then I thought maybe Sloan went in and did a little plastic surgery, Could whatever. But it. I have to say, you got to be careful with those details, because people like me find them a little bit disturbing. And I guess you'd probably notice then that half of them wear jewelry when they operate in the ER. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you want to say that again? Seriously? Okay. Wait. Um, I also think I watched a lot of pilots. You know, Sex in the City. I thought the pilot. If I had only seen the pilot and everyone hadn't told me you have to keep watching, mm-hmm. I, it was not good. Pilots are difficult, and usually you have to watch three or four to really get hooked in. I think the Grey's Anatomy pilot is the best pilot of any series I that I've hooked, ever seen, and it was very yep. much anticipated when that show came oh, out. Oh, really? I didn't you know. know. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it then. I saw it years later when you made yep. me watch it. And they so immediately much. just got a huge following okay Okay, ready i'm gonna ask another question ready burke or derek derek okay i would have i i i think i burke was a a compelling character to me i liked him huh yeah okay yeah i mean but it's interesting that a lot of these surgeons of course their ruling trait is arrogance uh well you know and maybe that has to be the way it is because Mm -hmm. if you don't have the kind of confidence when you've got someone's life in your hand that way i don't know what you do Okay. Bailey or the chief? Bailey. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's a great character, isn't she? She's a wonderful Mm -hmm. character. And and again, another extremely talented actor. You can tell she's been acting since she was five. (laughs) Um, But I love her. I love her moral fiber. I love her standards. For sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm very glad I never went to medical school and I didn't have to stand there and, uh, you know, cite the facts of the medical file to her. I would have just probably fainted. Um, the other thing that I like is that they compete and they can be friends. And they can live together. Well, and but they compete in a way that's brutal, mm-hmm. meaning you know, you're going to steal a surgery if you can. And they, and I, I don't know if that's real life or not, but would, would it be that we could actually truly compete with each other? Now, I know that Chris Everett, for example, and um, Martina Navratilova were very good friends, even when they were competing, not just after they were competing, but when they... But I think it's rare that um, athletes or or people who are in direct competition don't try to find the need to really dislike somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think that it showed. It was there. But And I also like that you could be really mad at somebody and get over it. And I, I don't, I don't Especially know. Especially back before people binge watched, right. you had a whole week to exactly. get over whatever last it, week's well, episode that was. was. <laughs> but, but also today, it's hard. You know, people break up, friendships break up. People, not just couples, but people break up and they walk away from friendships when that initial thing happens. Mm-hmm. And I love that there. You know, even in the in the pilot, one of my favorite parts of the pilot was when Meredith. 
um, said she wasn't going to take the surgery. And then when Derek gave her the surgery, she took it. And Christina's like, own it. You, you know, you totally screwed me. Now own it. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, she said, okay, I, for, you know, I basically forgive you and don't hug me. You know, <laughs> which I also liked. I'm not a hugger these days. But, but I like that they could actually, you could do something wrong to me. And then it, it's not over for life. They had perspective on human frailty. You know when to let go. You love this song. Where does the good go? Where does the good go? Look me in the eye and tell me you don't find... Now, let me ask you this. When you were talking about breakups, of course, cast members have come and gone from this show. Um, were there certain departures that you thought were harder to take than others? Because I think Shonda Rhimes did a great job of injecting new characters well, you know, it's funny, the ones she killed off versus the ones that, quote, could come back. Like, Burke comes back to say goodbye to Christina. Oh. I mean, he hasn't come back to actually say it. In the, in this, the Christina exit was um, kindly portrayed in a way she could come back. Mm-hmm. And Burke actually shows up and ends up, that's why, um, that's why she goes to, he gives her an entire hospital in Switzerland with unlimited funding to study hearts. And... Uh, and it was unexpected and it didn't leak and it was really a great moment so he didn't die okay George who people would love to have seen can only come back you know when we're seeing the afterlife although she has brought people back from the other side well as I said but but they can't really be interacting Mm -hmm. in a way with the characters they can't do what Burke was able to do and I think one of the things she said is I think she's you know she does a little payback she and Derek had an issue last fall apparently and you know, he got killed in a very brutal way and frankly didn't have the proper send-off or there was, you know, Twitter went uh, a buzz without giving them proper send-off. But what she said is, if you look at Scandal, which is now in its third or fourth season, I believe, okay, no one's left. This was her first time hiring people. She now does, she does a full check on every a- actor because she doesn't want the problems she had, you know, that surrounding the Katherine Heigl, uh, you know, sort of um, very unkind way Heigl handled uh, her feelings about how her part was being written in the third season. And that was an interesting phenomenon that Katherine Heigl was nominated for an Emmy and she declined. She down, yeah. Mm-hmm. She said, she said that basically she was nominated. No, she wasn't nominated. She was put in for nomination. And she asked that being put in for nomination be removed because she felt that the writing wasn't good enough. And, you know, you don't do that. That's the kind of thing you do in the back room. And basically... It's the kind of thing I would never do anywhere. I would be so... You'd have to revive me if I had gotten nomination. No, that's not your so way. Happy, that's not you know? your way. But, um, but at any rate, uh, Shonda Rhimes says she's learned from that. And now she puts the cast together not just on how good they are, and although that's clearly at the top of the heap, she also wants to make sure that they're not people who are going to treat, uh, mistreat a ensemble cast... You know, you can't, there's no room in an ensemble cast, and these are all her shows are ensemble cast. There's no room for that kind of uh, action. Um, but I do think it's played its time, and I think it's going to be very difficult to keep it going too much longer. There is a limit to how many years something can run, although, as the world turns, it's been running for 40 <laughs> years or something, so maybe I'm wrong. Thank you, Shonda Rhimes. Can't wait to see what you're going to come up with next. And Hollister, I just want you to know you're still my person. Oh, you know what? You can be my person, too. Okay. (laughs) All right. Did I go wrong? I lost a friend somewhere along in a bitterness And I would have stayed up with you all night Had I known how to sing